This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Thanks, Scott. And I barely recognized you. You have a different hat on. I've never seen that hat before. Wow, he usually has a cardinal hat. This looks like a buffalo hat. <laughs> anyway, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the Good Gardening Stroll shortly. But right now, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments on this Halloween weekend, pre-weekend, let's put it that way, uh, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments, Saturday mornings we get together and have a discussion. And what's going on in your backyard? What's happening to your side yard, your front yard? Thank goodness we did get some rain, and that really helped uh, <laughs> the plant material. Ugh. Some of it was getting a little scared. Uh, specialty garden space, taste of the tropics. Yes, your house plants should probably be inside by now. And speaking of houseplants, uh, Ashlyn, our producer, she's growing a moonflower, and she was very impressed with the moonflower flower, and she showed me a picture of it. It was very nice. <laughs> Huge. Anyway, how to improve your soil, pruning, shearing, what about bugs, uh, information I will share with you. My thoughts uh, comes from about 40-plus uh, years of uh, playing in the outdoors, professionally sometimes, but most of the time... <laughs> playing around. And uh, with the final judgment of the action you're going to take is going to be on your shoulders. And by the way, this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player, as I said, is Ashlyn. She's producing, and uh, when you call, she answers the phone. She just needs your first name, and then she pushes all the buttons and everything else to make sure that when I say something, you can actually hear it. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation if you'd like. I call it a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's an email address and a phone number. Also, an alternative email address is mmillerdesigns22 at gmail.com. So I'm kind of transitioning from uh, one to the other. It's just a slow process. Anyway, enough of that, and uh, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. As I headed north on Gravoy from our home in South City, 
The silhouette of the arch in the downtown skyline was really highlighted. The eastern horizon was just waking up. I was surprised. It was pretty darn dark, yet there was a lot of crows out flying around all over the place. I don't know how those crows fly, you know, when it's this dark, but I guess they got a sense of uh, direction. And at the corner of Tucker and Market is the St. Louis City Hall. And uh, last Saturday there were volunteers, and I believe they were planting uh, spring flowering bulbs, probably daffodils is my guess. I'm not sure if uh, Brightside St. Louis is responsible for that uh, anymore. I haven't talked to uh, the folks there for a little little while, but uh, historically that's who usually provided the bulbs and uh, actually you know, had the volunteers put them in. On the south end of the city, <laughs> city hall, there is a parking lot, and there's a wrought iron fence with brick pillars. There's junipers and some really bright burning bush along there. Along Tupper, Tucker northward, huge oak trees, and a lawn area. Well, I don't know if it, you could call it lawn, but it's green. It's kind of like my father's philosophy. If it's green, it's good. And uh, then you go past the historic main entrance where there's going to be magnolias that are budded for next year, hydrangeas. And then uh, also there's a couple of terracotta pots sitting on top of uh, some pillars there as well. And it's just uh, kind of a neat circumstance. You can, if you want to ride your bike down, there's a place to park your bike and lock it up so you don't have to worry about it. The bed space is uh, edged with uh, granite cobblestones. So those cobblestones are probably old historic from streets or who knows wherever. And it's, a sign does remind you if you have a disability, access to the city hall is going to be from the rear of the building. And then there's an upright hornbeam, a trio of shrubs, there's a Norway spruce, a white pine, and then at the corner of Market and Tucker is the statue of Ulysses S. Grant. And it's embraced by a bed space and a wrought iron fence part of the way and boxwood part of the way. And as I turned around, I'd probably been walking around. It was a little cool. I should have probably wore shoes and socks, but I wore flip-flops again. I just deny winter exists, so I keep doing it, but uh, enough of that. But the eastern sky, the clouds were so bright orange, it was really kind of a a welcoming glow to the day. So hopefully you'll have a good day. And uh, if you do have questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We'll be back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks. House plants. I've got mine inside. Sometimes I think, oh, these are getting kind of heavy. I only have a couple, but uh, you know, getting them down the steps into the basement and everything else is uh, laborious. And the can- uh, the Canna Banana Farm, very near me on Morgan Ford, they've got most of their bananas root systems inside. And I was talking to the them the other day, and they said some of this stuff is really getting a little outrageous as far as heavy goes. And now they're trying to grow some, let's say, hardy varieties of bananas. And they just, you know, just for the access and visual access. And so it'll be interesting to see how well they do. Just like I'm trying to grow elephant ears, leaving them outside 
for the wintertime and just see or see what happens with them. But right now, let's head over to Suzanne's. Suzanne, how are, are you today? Oh, fine. Thank you. Uh, and I hope you are as well. Yes. Um, <clears throat> yes. We have two crepe myrtle shrubs in our yard, probably been there almost 20 years. Uh, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, one of them, all the leaves on one of them began to turn and have completely turned orange. Uh, looks really pretty. I just don't remember it ever doing that before. Maybe I'm just not remembering, but I don't remember it turning colors before. The other one seems to be sort of beginning to do that same thing. Uh, I'm just kind of wondering, is that a, sound like a problem? Generally not. It's probably because of our goofball weather that we've had this okay. year. Okay. So more so than anything else. But uh, if they looked healthy, they didn't turn brown. And uh, so no. normally you don't think of crepe myrtle providing fall color. But, again, no. it has to be related to our weather temperature-wise and moisture-wise and every other thing uh, just playing a role in the whole deal. Okay. Uh, would you recommend, I know it's been rather dry and I know that a little bit of rain is being predicted, but would you recommend at this point a little bit of deep watering? Yeah, it wouldn't hurt. For- I, you know, in our neighborhood in South City, we got almost two inches of rain this past week, but still oh. it, it wouldn't hurt, you know, to run a hose to the base of the, you know, a couple inches mm-hmm. from the, where the stems come out. And run it for a you know half hour to uh, forty five minutes or so at a trickle to really just soak okay. the ground really and in the I don't know how big these are but you may have to move the hose around to the other mm-hmm. side to make sure that it gets moisture as well. Yes, and would that same advice apply to uh, we have a red maple tree which is very large uh, have that's for many years too. Uh, would that be a good idea for that tree also? I don't think it's going to make that much difference to the tree, to be honest with okay. you. Okay. But uh, right. if you wanted to, the problem with the tree is you've got to, the, let's say the feeder roots that uptake moisture and nutrients and everything else are on the perimeter, so just slightly yeah. beyond where the extension of the branches are. And you'd have yeah. to run, you know, have a hose out there and move it about to do a whole circle around the, you know, where the feeder roots are, uh, probably every five or six feet, you know, after the mm-hmm. half hour to 45 minutes. Uh, I don't think it really needs it. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's head over to Bruce's yard. Hi, Bruce. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, my question is, uh, had several white oak and black oak trees cut down. I have some tremendous stumps that I'm not going to have them ground up. What would be a good ground cover to plant around the stumps that would take? Uh, it's going to take a little bit of, uh, if they're big trees and everything else, very near the stumps are going to be uh, quite a bit of boards underneath. So in other words, the old root system. And so any ground cover is going to have a really difficult time. So any kind of lawn, anything is going to have a tough time near the trunk for a couple of years, to be honest with you. So you could uh, experiment around with a couple different types of ground covers, you know, periwinkle or vinca minor or the some of the Baltic or Bulgarian or English ivies. Maybe get a, a you know a f- couples, let's say a flat of them, and uh, try just several of a couple different varieties of ground covers and try and see which one is going to work the best as far as getting established in that situation. Okay. Appreciate the help. Sure. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's really, that's just a real tough growing spot. And uh, then the roots will finally implode, but uh, I don't know how long ago the trees were taken down, but uh, it could take as much as three to five years before the roots implode feeder-wise, and the perimeter, like I was telling that lady as far as watering goes, but uh, just in general. So you're gonna, it's going to be a long, involved process. There's no getting around it. It'd be the same answer if you went ahead and ground stumps out. You still have the roots, right? Exactly, right. All that stump grinding does is, you know, <laughs> to be honest with you, give you uh, additional costs, yes, and aesthetically it gets rid of the stump, but uh, it doesn't really kill the roots. The roots don't know they've been re- you know, beheaded, and so they're just going to keep uh, absorbing until they don't get any, let's say, feedback from the leaves that they sent the nutrients and moisture up to, and then finally they're just going to, like I said, implode. And the, other, the other question I have is uh, how late can you still get seed in the ground? I'm sure it's too late this year, but what's the perfect time, October, this area? Yeah, probably it's going to be weather dependent, but uh, let's say you could start as as early as, let's say, Labor Day and go all the way until about Halloween. And then after that, you're just taking a really big chance on the the ability of the roots or the seed to actually germinate, get the root system penetrated deep enough into the ground in case we have an earlier frost or a frost real soon because that's going to kill off any newly germinated seed that doesn't have the roots penetrating into the ground. Okay. All right. Thank you much. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's head over to Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I've got a small ewe that was put in in April to replace a ewe that died. And between the deer and all of the heat this summer, I've struggled to keep it alive. It looked a little puny, and now the bottom of the of the uh, shrub itself is starting to 
to turn brown. The needles are starting to drop off. Do you think I should just leave it alone, or do you think I should water it more? I know we got a lot of water recently, and I've been trying to keep water on it periodically before this big rain that we got, but I'm not quite sure. I don't want to kill overkill it with love. I think it's going to die anyway, but I just wanted to know what your opinion was of what what the best course of action would be right now. Yeah, I, you know, is I'm assuming that you said you kept it watered through the more or less dry summertime? Yes. Okay, so if you did that, then additional watering now is not going to make a bit of difference. Okay. And if it's discoloring and losing needles and things like that, that's not a good sign. No, I didn't think so. Okay, so you're basically saying it it is what it is at this point. Right. And just, you know, if you want to leave it through the wintertime and see what it looks like in the spring, you could certainly do that. But in the future, I don't know who planted this one or anything else, but just make sure the, you know, the top of the root ball, you know, 10 or 20 percent of it is higher than the surrounding ground because ewes really don't like a whole lot of moisture. Sometimes ah. that a lot of ewes are killed by too much moisture. Even, I have a know. feeling that might be the case. <laughs> so, yeah, <they're, laughs> okay. They just don't like it, you know, at all. Well, that's good to know. I appreciate your uh, your advice. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. Bye bye. And now let's head over to Rich's yard. Hi, Rich. Hi. I have a garden in the front of the house, and. It had a lot of weeds in it. I pulled the weeds out, added some soil for fill, and I planned to plant bulbs in it, some tulips and jonquils. After I cover those, can I add some preen to take care of the weeds, and will it affect the bulbs? No, I want to... After the end of a good fight, deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts the bulbs at all, but putting the preen down at this time of year is kind of a waste of time. Now, there are, there could be, you know, some cool season weeds that may be seed that are still just laying there, but preen is only going to kill seed, you know, as it germinates. It's not going to kill anything that's perennial like a bulb or a perennial type plant, but uh, I would say don't bother with the preen. Wait until, uh, uh, let's say, around Ides of March or so. And put the preen out at that time. Putting it out at this time is just kind of a waste of money. Thank you very much. I appreciate your help. Sure, my pleasure. And we do have phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is a perfect time of year. 
regardless of even if you have a nice yard, nice lawn, nice gardens or whatever, to get your soil tested to find out exactly what is in your soil. So if you are fertilizing or if you're doing anything at all, core aeration followed by compost or whatever it happens to be, you can find out what the soil base is. And the test results will tell you the status of the nutrients like phosphorus, potassium, calcium, magnesium. And uh, generally it'll be about uh, you take a sample, you want to have a a regular kind of sandwich Ziploc bag, and you want to take uh, samples of the soil from several different locations, if it's a lawn area or if it's a garden space or whatever, within that particular area. So if you're doing lawn, you got to do a separate one for the backyard and front yard because probably the nutrient level is not going to be the same. And uh, it's going to take around two weeks or so, maybe a little bit more because of the time of year to take the sample. You want to make sure that you minimize the amount of any kind of root systems, no mulch, nothing like that whatsoever, just soil. That's what they test. And that's the testing is really the only way to tell which nutrients might be missing or which nutrients may be at an extravagant level. I've been to so many homes that have had a soil test done and they found out that they have extravagant levels of phosphorus and potassium. And a bag of fertilizer that has three numbers, the last two numbers are phosphorus and potassium, and extravagant levels of those two nutrients actually is detrimental to plant root systems. And that's kind of what the real problem is. We think if we're fertilizing, then it's going to be good, and it just depends upon which fertilizer we're using. And using the same one, let's say like a triple 12, year after year after year after year, is not going to be good. You might not use a triple 12 on your lawn, but if you're using it on uh, garden space, whether it be perennials or edibles or whatever, you just got to be really cautious about that. So get your soil tested, and uh, then you're going to find out what the nutrients are. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. We do have phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Boy, I'll tell you, hasn't the fall color been spectacular this year? And uh, the leaves are starting to come down. Uh, we live across, you know, at the basically on the eastern. Is it the eastern, western? It doesn't matter. We live around Christie Park, and uh, we can tell, or I can tell as I'm sitting in the living room, uh, looking out across the park because there's Christie Boulevard, there's a couple of other streets in that direction, and we can see or I can see the cars on the streets. And when the leaves are full, when the trees are fully leafed out, it blocks that kind of view entirely. But now I can see that uh, oh, the leaves are falling, and then sooner or later the southwest winds are going to be blowing it into our front yard. And usually... Uh, Rake, Raking-wise, I end up with about uh, 10 to 15 different uh, bags full of leaves that blow in from the park, from Christie Park. And then, uh, you know, they go, those go into the yard waste dumpsters. But anyway, enough of that. And now let's head over to Jill's yard. Hi, Jill. Hi there. Hi. Yeah, I have a question about um, bringing some things indoors. I'm assuming I have to bring mandevilla in. I think it's a tropical, and I have a large one, 
And I did it last year, um, you know, it lost pretty much all of its leaves and then kind of started growing back. Um, and then I brought it out. And then it took it a long time before it bloomed. So I'm wondering if it's worth it or should I just buy new ones in the spring? To be honest with you, I would just, <laughs> to be honest, uh, just buy new ones. It's, yeah. You know, it's just, it's really tragic. I used to have a couple of th- you know, a couple of plants, Mandevilla would happen to be one of them that I had the same problem with. So it's not just because of skill level or anything else. It's just it right. takes them a long time to get you know, reacclimated. And uh, going mm-hmm. inside, it's nothing more tragic than kind of looking at something that looked wonderful outside and you bring it inside and it starts becoming a skeleton. Right, right. And then everybody else has blooms way before you do. Right, exactly. <laughs> and they at the garden center. <laughs> right, right. All right. One other question, then. I appreciate that. That's going to save me a lot of uh, a lot of heartache. Um, I have a rosemary in the ground, and um, I'm just wondering, is it is it a good idea to dig it up, put it in a pot, and bring it in? I love to cook with it, but I can always just buy one. It just seems a shame to let it die and then buy one. Yeah, I mean, it depends upon the winter. Sometimes rosemary can make it through our winters and, uh, oh. you know, not have too much problem. But uh, some oh, years, is there it, I could do too? yeah, some years it's just, you know, one of those situations that uh, it's not really good for them. But if it's healthy, you know, I would say just go ahead and leave it out. And then if you want to get a new one because this one hasn't made it through the winter aesthetically or whatever mm-hmm. wise, then go ahead and do that. Okay, is there anything I can do to encourage it um, to live through the winter? Do I mulch around it or cover it with something? Uh, No, you don't need to. I mean, that kind of stuff is just extreme. I mean, people try to cover them with burlap or whatever. Right. And uh, that's not really all that good, and it's not going to make that much difference. And mulch-wise, they really don't like mulch. They don't like an exceptional amount of water. Most of the herbs are really kind of drought-tolerant as opposed to uh, you know, needing water. But if we do have an extended period during the wintertime of, you know, let's say three or four weeks with no rainfall, I would certainly yeah. think about taking, a you know, a bucket of water out and watering it. Okay, I'm going to give that a try. Thank you for your help. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's head over to Rich's yard. Hi, Rich. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, Mike, is this a good or bad time to lay some fescue sod? And if so, does it take a lot of watering this time of year? Uh, it's going to take watering. There's no doubt about it. Though the great, you know, I mean, the the winds and everything else are drying it out. And I don't know, yeah. If do you know of a garden center that has a fescue? I beg your pardon. Do you know a garden center where you're going to buy the fescue sod? Well, I fellow the, the gentleman that cuts my grass and tends my lawn and everything. Uh, he has access to it. Yeah. Okay. Because I was going to say situation where I put everything, the hoses and everything away, and I'm just wondering. It would be a good time maybe just to wait till spring. Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, watering it and everything else is really going to be essential. And getting the ground prepared ahead of time is going to be essential before you lay the sod. So you can't uh-huh. just, you know, have a, an area that you take a, a garden rake and just rake a bare spot and put a piece of sod there and expect it to be able to, you know, get its root system down into the ground. Because sure. we, don't, we don't know when, you know, the frost is going to come and it won't kill you know, the sod, like it will kill germinating, uh, you know, lawn seed, but it's still going to be, you know, trouble. Yeah, better off waiting until spring, right? Yeah, and spring is not ideal, but uh, sp- spring is pretty good. And not, you know, as soon as they start having it in the, in the 
nurseries and everything, the garden centers, you don't necessarily have to rush out, but just make sure the area where you're going to lay the sod is has been prepared. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Sure. My pleasure. Thank you, sir. We have phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. As I continue to talk about when you install like trees and shrubs and even perennials, a lot of it, uh, you just got to be really careful about not planting them at grade at the same level as the surrounding ground and plant them a little bit higher than what the bed space is where they're going to be planted or the lawn or the you know the yard because what happens is if you plant them and you plant them at grade you know at the same level as everything else or you plant them you know too deep uh, what happens is the the root ball will sink there's no getting around it because of air pockets from digging the hole and what happens then what the roots are going to suffocate that's and it's just the development of the stems Girdling roots and everything else is just really bad news. So by planting too deep, that's what happens. And it's not necessarily because you've done extra watering or anything else. It's just because, I mean, if there is rainfall or just moisture is going to be attracted to a lower spot because that's what water does. And uh, just be really careful if you do plant any kind of trees and shrubs because we can still do that this time of year. Uh, the sods and things like that, the perennials, ground covers, just got to be a little bit cautious because, uh, j- you know, just the root system and just the general hardiness of newly installed plant material other than trees and shrubs, which can handle the cold weather that's on its way. So just keep that in mind. Let's head over to Bruce's yard. Hi, Bruce. Good morning. Good morning. I'd like I'd like your opinion about what type of a or a good recommendation for a native species of tree that I could plant? I've lost two trees in my side yard, and I'd like to plant something new there, and I'd like to get something that would be native to the area and would be hardy and would grow moderately quickly. Uh, moderately quickly, that's, you know, that's an iffy thing. Do you want an ornamental? Do you want it to, you know, more or less just a deciduous tree, like a shade-type tree? Yes, for shade. Okay, for shade. Let's see. I'd probably look at the, you know, just the maples. They're going to be the, the faster growing. They're going to be, you know, I don't know how much space or, you know, you have there, but uh, that's what I, where I, you know, where I would look at. The oaks are, you know, I mean, they're great. They're fantastic, but they're very slow growing. The uh, elms, you don't probably want elms because of the problems that we know all, about all elms. The diseases. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. But the maples, this, I mean, this year was a great year for maple color. So get, you know, I mean, there are hybrids of the ones that are native. If you want to get something that's going to have a little bit more pizzazz, like, you know, better red color, or you don't have to, even though the sugar maple is not necessarily the native maple to here, uh, that it's, you know, you could use a sugar maple, a red maple. I'd stay away from the silver maples because they're the ones that they are very fast growing, but they do have a you know have some problems as far as the amount of maple squirts and you know filling up your gutters with junk and everything else. Well, that's one of the trees that died was a silver maple. Oh, was it? I bought the house. Right. Yeah, so I would definitely don't want one of those because they are a mess. <laughs> right. 
And yeah, red maple sounds good. Yeah, I mean they're they're just they're really striking. So okay, well, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's head over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hey, Mike. Uh, we talked before, but it's been a long time. I'm trying to yard out here by. You're breaking up. Are you there, Jim? I think I'm going to have to call back. I'm out in the county with a bad reception. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. The gentleman that was asking about uh, native trees to put, uh, you know, in his side yard, he wanted a deciduous shade-type tree. If he wanted an ornamental tree, the tree I would have recommended would have been the uh, serviceberry, the amelanchier. The serviceberry is a tree that's native to this region. It blooms before the dogwood. They're tougher than dogwood trees. They're going to produce uh, white flowers red fruits, and then good fall color as well. They just, they can withstand some of the, let's say, detrimental things that the dogwoods, which are native too, there's no getting around it. Dogwoods are a little bit more touchy when it comes to soil types and things along that line. So let's now go back to Jim. He was uh, who we were talking to earlier. Hi, Jim. Hi, Mike. Uh, Quick question. I don't know if you heard me. I live out near near Lake Tishomingo in Jefferson County. Uh, I've been trying to get a wildflower area started, and I'm going to cut a few cedar trees down. And I'm thinking about planting maybe six fruit trees of some type, maybe three apple and three peach or something. I was wondering what type of peach or apple I might put out here, just uh, two or three, four trees, something like that, a small small lot. Yeah, I would say uh, exactly which variety is going to be the best variety. I would go to the University of Missouri Extension Service and find out, or the Missouri Botanical Garden, and check variety-wise which ones they recommend for this region. As okay. That's, you know, because I, you know, I, I'm not really that up-to-date on some of the varieties that do well here, but it's going to be realized that if you get a standard-sized tree, you're going to have a about, uh, let's say, five to seven years before you're going to get much fruit off of an, off of it at all. If you get a semi-dwarf, it's going to make it a little bit shorter time, a couple years shorter. And then a true dwarf tree is going to make it so you should be able to get fruit in about three to five years. So just okay. the size of the tree, that's going to be most important variety-wise. You know, again, I'd, I'd hate to recommend a variety and you know, not know exactly, and especially with like the peaches. There, uh, I don't know any kind of peach varieties at all. Okay, okay, I'll certainly do that. I want to kind of get some of this stuff going, and maybe a year or two, I want to get a bunch of beehives put out there. Ah, well, that sounds great. So, so either so the what? University of Missouri Extension Service or the County Extension Service for the University of Missouri, or the Missouri Botanical Garden. See which varieties you can just you know check it out. Go to MoBot. Dot org, and just you know, ask them for varieties of uh, apple trees for this region. Okay, I will. Thank you. Sure, Have my pleasure. Day. And now let's go over to Roberts. Hi, Robert. Hey, good morning. Good morning. 
Good morning. How are you? Very good. Good. Hey, my question is, <clears throat> I'm looking to plant some Christmas trees. Okay, I'm in uh, Troy, the Troy, Missouri area, and um, what I want to do is kind of like use them as a break between property lines, and uh, you know, eventually harvest them. Um, any idea what is a good hardy Christmas tree? Uh, kind of a fast growing uh, for this area. There's not, I mean, the classic type Christmas trees are not hardy for this region, if that's what you're looking at. If you want to look at an okay. evergreen that's going to you know, be the toughest, you're going to have to look at some of the varieties of the junipers or the cedars. That's going to be your best, you know, best option. Okay. Okay, so Christmas trees don't grow well here. No, they don't. That's why there's not really Christmas tree farms like there is in other parts of the country. Mm, okay, I got you. All right, well, that answers my question. Yeah, so, I mean, you could fool around with some of the varieties. You may have luck with them, but they're not going to be consistently good. And especially, I don't know what kind of soil or what kind of area you're trying to grow them in. But the, the cedars slash junipers, I mean, they're the toughest evergreen there are because, I mean, they're native. You can see them all over the place growing on rocky right. bluffs and everything else. Right, so maybe just some some type of cedar tree, but then keep them, maybe you know, just keep them cut to maybe look like Christmas trees. You could, I mean, they grow in more or less a natural shape, and just you know, check them out online, and just because some of the varieties are not going to get as tall, I mean, as uh, some of the other ones, they're not going to get as wide, and uh, that will give you a little bit of, let's say idea of which ones to head towards as far as planting and which ones that uh, you should probably stay away from. Okay, very good. Well, thank you for your time. Sure, my pleasure. All righty, take care now. Yep, and uh, we do have uh, f you know time for another call or two. If you'd like to give us a call, you can do that. Uh, this is a time of year where I'm just about finished getting my uh, elephant ears and my cannas and everything you know, into the garage. In the, some of them are out of the pots. Some of them are still in pots. And what I do is I pull them out of the pots or pull them out of the ground, and then I leave them in the garage till the roots, all the pot, all the soil or all the potty mix or anything dries entirely around them. And then I shake all that off. Then I put these uh, these summer bulbs in uh, you know paper bags, and then I bring them inside into the uh, into the basement, and then I have a, t a workbench that I just you know put them underneath there. I have probably too many, so uh, you know that's the unfortunate thing, and uh, so that's why I'm going to try some growing and leaving them outside in the ground and see how well they do. Let's see if we can get Linda in. Hi, Linda. How are you? I'm good, Mike. Um, I was just listening to the man asking about the Christmas trees, and. I don't know. We live in South County off of Telegraph Road, and there actually was a Christmas tree farm on Jaeger. I can't remember the name of it. We cut one down years ago. I mean, a long time ago, back in the 80s. And um, so they, and it wasn't, you know, like a cedar or a juniper that I know of. Maybe, you know, he might want to research that, or you might want to research it a little bit more because. I think that Christmas tree farm flourished there for quite a while. I know we saw them in different states, you know, like even California. But right. 
there actually was one in South County for years. Wow. And it wasn't, you know, it was a regular kind of Christmas tree that I recall that we cut. In fact, it was kind of a big tree, and we didn't have the right base for it. We had gone by a different base. It fell over. Whoops. (laughs) Yeah, whoops is right. (laughs) So, you know, yeah, we were a little too enthusiastic out there chopping down a big tree. So, you know, I know my uncle or my cousin used to go out on the farm and get the cedars, and they were pretty too, but. Anyway, I just thought I'd add that since you were asking for callers. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. That's, uh, you know, uh, I grew up in West County, but I don't remember in that direction any kind of Christmas tree circumstance. So it had to be the people that were doing it had to have a very, you know, great type soil and exposure and care and everything else because, you know, those are trees that uh, just uh, generally don't like it here. Now, since the 80s, I don't know why they shut down or anything else, but uh, I guess it's... Probably got too old to do it. (laughs) People probably got too old to do it. Right. Either that or also what could happen, too, is, you know, if the trees are cut down, then it takes a long time for them to get back, you know, new seedlings to grow to be big enough to actually be Christmas trees somebody would want to have for their, you know, inside their home. Right. That was it huge lots over there and it just kept you know it didn't look like it from the road but then you go back in the back and it was just went further and further back it was amazing wow you know, cut your own christmas tree yeah really nice well thanks thanks linda for that insight sure have a great weekend you do the very same thing and we have been so lucky this fall so far with the month of october Weather-wise and everything else, it gives us a chance to get caught up. The only bad side was the lack of rainfall, but that's okay. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will be back after the news. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Thanks, Scott. And this is the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial Hour. And I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can give a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, ups and downs, and all arounds of annuals, Bulbs, edibles, ground covers, houseplants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, and water gardens. I'd like to uh, share my thoughts with you for sure. But please remember, my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take towards success. It's just an option for you to consider. Across the big board is uh, Ashlyn. She's producing. She uh, pushes all the buttons, and she answers the phone. And when you call... She just needs your first name. And uh, during the week and weekends both, I do something called a landscape evaluation. No. Anyway, it's a walk and talk where I come to your home and take a look at the questions and concerns that you may have and the things that I think may be impacting your landscape. So you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage there's my uh, phone number, and uh, the email there is not exactly, I mean, it's still good, but I'm changing my email address to mmillerdesigns22 at gmail.com. I just got, I needed to make a change. So anyway, 
The tip of the trowel is uh, oh, when I come to your home, too, I'll share 40-plus years of experience as it relates to uh, you know, plant material and my experiences and everything else. And the tip of the trowel is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Though St. Louis Composting doesn't do too much, uh, guess what, here where Odyssey is, but a tip of the trowel goes out to... I was totally shocked by the amount of Halloween decoration that has been put up in just these last couple days. There is so much. It is absolutely incredible. So whoever put it all up and uh, uh, so a tip of the trial goes out to them. And again, I, you know, I gave a tip of the trial to everybody that's decorating on the outside of their homes. And uh, consequently, I mean, I'm just amazed at some of the stuff that I'm seeing that people how creative they're actually getting. And probably the most creative one that I've seen, it's not a big inflatable one or anything else. Somebody took uh, a mannequin, I think, and probably took the mannequin apart. And what they did is they made it look like uh, a mower, just a regular lawnmower, ran over somebody. So it was like all his arms and legs were (laughs) out underneath the mower. And there was a hat there, and uh, that's one of the more creative ones I've seen. And I, you know, I walk a lot. So consequently, I see a lot. But this is, uh, you know, something that totally caught me by surprise. So a tip of the trial goes out to that home as well. And everybody else has done some decorating. And I don't know about Halloween, what it's going to be like as far as are people going to be out and everything else with the COVID so many years, uh, a couple years, there was hardly anybody and I'm not sure exactly, you know, in the past, what we've done the last couple of years is just put a, a bowl of candy and with a sign saying, help yourself to it. But uh, I don't know if we're even going to do that this year because the number of people that are, you know, kids and parents or whatever coming out for Halloween seems to be a little bit uh, less and less each year. Nothing crazy like it ha- was uh, for a while, but uh, that's just kind of the reality of the situation. We've got a phone call, and if you'd like to call too, we've got uh, with questions or concerns 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. Let's go over to Gloria's yard. Hi, Gloria. How are you doing this morning? Very good. Thank you. Think you're going to get to me that quick, but anyway, I want to ask you about the lilies and bugs that you sit outside and you say you put them in pots can you leave them outside or what would or you have to put them in the garage uh basically you know so the, like the daffodils the spring flowering bulbs daffodils tulips and things like that they just stay out in the pots now things like okay. you know the the summertime ones they uh they can't really you know really handle you know being outside in the wintertime so that's you know the difference between the two which ones is the summer? Those high high season or something like that? Yeah, dahlias, cannas, elephant ears, those type things. Caladiums. That's the summertime or warm, you know, warmer weather type bulbs. I know that, but some that uh, smells good. I think it's H Y C I N something like that. H Y hyacinth hyacinth bulb. Yeah, hyacinth. Yeah, yeah, hyacinth, that should be a tough one that could grow in, outside in a pot. That's more or less a spring one. 
Okay, so I can do that. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Now there's, I mean, there's there's a grape hyacinth, which is a small one, and just a traditional type hyacinth, which is uh, the city of New Orleans is named, uh, you know, the city of hyacinths, and that's okay, the, the I, bigger bulb. Okay, I just wanted to plant them outside on my flower pot when they come up for the spring. Right. Um, that's on the front porch. Thank you very much. Sure, you got my, a very good show. Yeah, well, thank you, and thanks for calling. And uh, okay. Yeah, just make sure that the pot's pretty good size because you want to have a couple inch uh, of potting mix around in between the edge of the pot and where the bulbs are going to be planted. That would should, or historically, that's what I've used for a buffer in the in the weather. And I haven't really you know put mine in any special place. I've just kind of wherever they were sitting, that's kind of where I left them. So. Well, I don't put them in the ground. None, the only ones I put in the ground is the tulips because I want a big roll of them. So. Right. Okay. Well, and great. I, yeah, but the other uh, ones I, I want to put them in a um, pot so I don't have to dig them up because I put other stuff there for the summer. Right. And a okay, lot of times, I, yeah, I just left mine in a pot and then planted some annuals on top of them. And some of the varieties lasted for a couple of years. Some of them... Uh, you know, depending upon what I was growing on top of them, they didn't do, you know, they didn't do great, but they weren't still too bad. But uh, uh, basically in the pots, you get about two to three years out of them, and then they kind of get exhausted. Oh, and you could put annuals in with them maybe in the middle and put those around it? Right. Oh, okay. That's a good idea. What about daylilies? That's too big, ain't they? Uh, daylilies, uh, I'm, you know, you could do that, but... Uh, Daylilies are, you know, they're kind of tough and uh, rough and everything else. So I don't know. I've not done daylilies. I've done mainly annuals, not perennials. Oh, oh, and you say do annual. Okay, so once they come up, leave a spot so I can put the annuals in there. Yeah, either that or plant okay. them underneath just because you can leave the foliage and just, you know, start sticking some of the spring blooming, you know, type annuals in and around the the foliage of the daffodils or whatever you happen to be growing. So thanks, oh. Gloria. And okay, thank you. Sure. And let's go over to Bob before we take a break. Hi, Bob. Hey, how you doing this morning? Very good. Uh, the question I have is I've got some azaleas that are about 20 years old, and they're in the front of the dining room, living room window, and I want to transplant them. Uh, I'm going to probably do that uh uh, in a couple of weeks, as the um, should I cut them back when I transplant them or leave them the way they are? They're about waist high. Well, I would not. You know, you're taking a really big chance to transplant a 20 year old, you know, azalea. And I'm saying that from the standpoint of when I went to worked at the botanical garden that the English woodland garden where I worked was a new area. And consequently, they had some other areas they were going to be developing, which had azaleas growing in them, you know, relatively mature azaleas. I even used, uh, you know, a backhoe to dig them up to make sure I could get the adequate root system and everything else. And I would say probably maybe 25% of all of them that I transplanted up to the woodland garden survived. So just realize that it's going to be a lot of work and the end result may not be what you want. Should I put any mulch or in when I transplant them? They're in good soil, and they're going to good soil, okay. too. Yeah, good soil. No, don't put mulch. You can put mulch on top of them. Don't put mulch down in the hole. 
Just make sure that when you plant them, that the top of the root ball is above the surrounding ground, so they're you know they're adequately you know drained. And then before you dig them up, the day or two before you dig them up, make sure you really water them well. And then after you transplant them, that uh, you water them pretty good for the first week or so, you know, yeah. al- almost daily. And just well, uh, if we get a really you know severe cold snap, they may not be able to survive. Okay, I'm going to use the uh, uh, compost that I get uh, down there in Valley Park. Right. Uh, that that leaf uh, uh, compost, you know. Right. That's fine. I mean, mixing that in with it, uh, azalea is like a highly organic soil, and you say your soil is pretty good shape anyway, so it wouldn't hurt to add, add some compost to it. But uh, just realize that, and then put uh, about two to three inches of mulch over them once you get them installed. Yeah, I'm going to uh, uh, transplant them from the uh, north uh, side of the front of the house to the east side of the side of the house so they have a little bit more protection. Okay. Yeah, but I shouldn't cut them back. No, uh, just leave them alone, especially if you cut them back. You're cutting any potential flowering for next spring off entirely. Yeah, I'm well aware of that. Right, okay. Okay, thanks a lot. Appreciate sure. it. Mike Miller, KMY's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. I'm going to go back to the soil testing circumstance again and just realize that excessive fertilization with nitrogen can actually retard root growth of woody plant material by depleting them of carbohydrates, which is all part of the whole healthy plant material circumstance. So just real, you know, just because it's nitrogen and you're doing it, it may not be what you should be doing without getting a soil test. So I own a soil test laboratory. No, I don't. But anyway, University of Missouri does a soil testing. Let's go now to Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. Good morning. Um, I was wondering, is it too early to cut back knockout roses? Uh, they're still blooming, so I would go ahead and just leave them alone. Until when? Uh, until they, I mean, until they kind of finish blooming, until the, you know, probably, I would say, it's going to be weather dependent, but I would say you might get another month of flowering off of them. Now, when the flowers, oh. you know, drop the petals, you can cut that flower, you know, stem off down to like five or seven leaflets rather than just cutting it all off at one time. But uh, then you're going to put about uh, three or four inches of mulch over the top of them. Of the root system. Okay. And uh, also, I've got in my yard, in the grass, these little little bitty mounds of dirt about the size of a quarter. And, and if you kick one of them over, there's a hole down in the ground about the size of a pencil. Is that some sort of a a bug, a wasp? It's pro- and probably those are probably worm castings, so they're probably from earthworms. So you probably have a nice yard because you've got earthworms in them. Worm poop? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, it helps, <laughs> but it helps your soil. <laughs> yeah, I've got... <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't talk anymore. <laughs> Worm poop. 
Okay, well, that's my only question. <laughs> I'm not being invaded. No, not at all. <laughs> Except by earthworms, which is good. There you go. Okay, thank you, Mike. <laughs> sure, my pleasure. <laughs> yeah, the only, let's say, bad side of earthworms is that's the main diet for moles. So as moles are tunneling, what they're listening for is earthworms tunneling through the ground. And that's where they d- dig to, and then they eat the earthworms. That's, their again, their main diet. Now, they will eat grubs on the way like an appetizer to that earthworm sound of tunneling, but that's exactly what it's all about. And, you know, the moles will stay active for a while longer, but then they're going to shut themselves down and go through a, more or less a hibernation. And why? Because the earthworms, the ground is going to get cold. They're not going to be moving. So then there's the moles can't hear the earthworms moving, so they can't get any food. So they don't want to do that at all. So just realize there's a whole sequence of what weather does for uh, moles and earthworms and all kinds of insects in the ground. And let's head over to Rita, Rita's yard. Hi, Rita. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Um, I'm sorry, but I overslept this morning, and I missed the first 25 minutes of our show. Uh, um, I turned it on. I, I just moved into a new house this week, and we have the landscaping planned, but none of it um, planted. And um, my cons- when I turned it on, you were talking about what is really safe to plant at this time of year and what you need to be cautious about. And I am getting a little nervous about it's getting too late to plant. Could you just summarize what you said earlier? I've got two trees, some holly, snowball bush, some ground cover, and a couple other plants on the plan, but is it safe to plant that kind of stuff right now? Uh, some, I mean, you, it may be safe without knowing what the weather's going to be. But the woody plant material, that should not be a problem with the woody plant material. It's, uh, you know, some of the other things, some of the herbaceous type things are the ground covers. It may be a little bit iffy because who knows what the weather's going to be like in another couple of weeks. <laughs> and so newly installed plant material like uh, perennials, like uh, ground covers and stuff, they're just not, they don't have an established enough root system or big enough root system to be able to withstand, you know, the soil getting cold and colder and colder. And then the, you know, the above ground growth being impacted by the air temperature. So that's where the problem comes. So woodies, trees and shrubs should be fine. Other stuff, it's going to be, they may be fine, you know, but uh, it's just going to be a little bit a, a guess, let's put it that way. So like black-eyed Susans and things like that, I'd be better off waiting till spring. Yeah, if you have the option of doing that. And okay. also availability of some of the plant material may be uh, oh. somewhat limited. Okay. I have one other question. Sure. Um, I've been able to save my poinsettia from last Christmas. When do I start giving it 12 hours of light and 12 hours of dark. You should have probably already started, but uh, I would do it ASAP. Okay. It takes about three, you know, three months of, you know, in and out of the light and dark to make them change. And what you're trying to do is just duplicate the amount of sun that uh, poinsettias would get in their native native habitat, which is in South Mexico. 
So that's what you're doing. Okay. You're not just like, tri- so you're tricking them. You're making them think they're in Mexico and they're not. What about watering? Do I continue the same? Yeah, just make sure that you don't want them to get any kind of drought stress, but you don't want to overwater them. But if you've had them and they look fine, then just keep watering in the same amount. Okay, very good. Thank you so much. I, I love our show, and I really regretted finding out I overslept this morning. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, if you want to hear the first part of the show, there's podcasts of the show. So in other words, you can go to the podcast and you can listen to the, you know, the part that you missed. Oh, great. Thank you, Mike. Sure. Have a good day. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. And we're headed over to Illinois, and we're going into Lenny's yard. Hi, Lenny. Morning, Mike. Good morning. Um, my wife had, like, an old hibiscus plant in, like, a six-gallon, uh, you know, pot. Mm-hmm. And it, it died, and short story long is I kind of just put the pot, still had the dirt in and everything. Well, I got two volunteer white pines. I call them the twins that are growing in there. Uh, there, one's probably about 16 inches tall. The other one's about, I don't know, a foot. Um, can I, should I keep them in their little nursery area over the winter still, or can they go outside? This, this will be their second winter. They overwintered without me doing anything last year. It's a, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, these are like the hardy white pines from outside. Yeah. They just, two seeds germinated and. They're just growing in a pot, so I didn't know. Should if I leave them in the pot, will they start? Will their roots start intertwining? Should I break them up or just leave them be and try to plant them in the spring, or can they go out now? Uh, I probably. Well, they're kind of a little bit iffy, so they've been outside all all this time, right? You didn't have them in the house. No, they've been two years of just pretty much being left alone. I if it was really dry, I'd I'd give them a cup of water or something, but right. They they've just been hanging out. So it, I I always had the you know the plan of transplanting them, but I just didn't know when's the best time to do for little guys like that. Yeah, I would say uh, I'd just go ahead and leave them in the pot, and then maybe next year, next fall, you know, earlier in the season, go ahead and you know pull them apart and then plant them. So leave them, let them have another more or less growing season in the pot because if you've had good luck with them so far. I think that's the best thing you can do for them. Okay. And then I was wondering if you or any of the listeners have a bright idea. I just planted about, oh, about almost 5,000 square foot of grass seed. And it's coming up, coming up great. I might have to get a loan for my water bill, but, um, (laughs) but uh, it's starting to have leaves go on top of it. And I read online that you really don't want to walk on the new grass. Right. But, but you also, I also, what's what's worse, walking on the grass or letting the leaves sit? If you if you let the leaves pile up on the top of them, it's going to be really humid, and then you're going to have a scenario where the fungus is really bad, and uh, that could be detrimental to your, you know, to the new seedlings. So I so would walk say, on it. yeah, and just, okay. I mean, just 
if you have a blower, I would, you know, I mean, that's a huge area, so I don't know if you want to blow it, but just be really careful if you're going to use a leaf rake and because you could tear up some of the new seedlings. How long have they actually been germinated? I planted them on the 6th of October, and they came up about, what, two, week, two weeks later, right. so they've been germinated for 10 days maybe. Okay, because, I mean, they're going to be really iffy. That root system penetration into the soil and things like that, even for the cold weather, is going to be uh, somewhat of an iffy circumstance. Well, I've been listening to you since since the 90s, and I know you don't like using straw, but I have them str- I do have it strawed, so I think that's helping a little bit with the that frost that we got, right. what, a week ago or something? Yeah. So, all right, well, so blow and walk on it instead of letting the leaves pile up. Yeah, you don't want that humidity is going to be way more detrimental than, uh, you know, some foot traffic. Okay. And then still don't right now I got it fenced off with chicken wire so my dogs can't get in on it. Should I leave that leave that up until next spring or? Yes, definitely. Okay. Okay. 10-4. All right. Appreciate it, Mike. Thanks. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah, because, you know, the dogs have a tendency to run back and forth on the same place, and they can really do some damage to well-established lawn, let alone new seedlings. And now let's go over to George's yard. Hi, George. Morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, last year I was given some can of bulbs and potted them up in a big container, and they did real well. This year... You know, I took them out of the pot last year and didn't like the thing, put them in the garage and then put them down in the basement. And then this year I planted them up and had a lot of foliage, but not too many blooms. Any ideas on, I mean, is it, do they have like a limited lifespan? Or no, they should be fine. Weather? It's just, I probably think, my guess is it may have been the weather as much as anything, because I had some cannas that, you know, they they did flower but nothing like they historically have done, so I'm blaming the weather more so than anything. And I okay. did fertilize, so it wasn't you know yep. the lack of fertilizer or any you know related to nutrients wise. How often using the, the basic fertilizer? How often do you have to do that? Well, I just do it whenever I think about it. So <laughs> I don't have it. Let's say a schedule where every 30 days I'm going to do it. It's just well, I got a little bit of time to waste, so maybe I'll fertilize my cannas and elephant ears. So during the summer months, do you do it maybe once a month? Or? Yeah, I don't do it any more than that. Yeah, okay. Well, I got them. You know, they've got the the bulbs, I guess, that come off the main bulbs. Yeah, the tubers. Red. Yeah, do those, are there any difference between those and the original ones that were planted? No. They're, they're, you're not going to get some kind of hybrid with a different color flower or anything else. They're going to be pretty consistent to what they're you know, have grown off of. And those should bloom as well as the original ones? Yeah, it's just going to be a while before the before they're going to get mature enough. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, well, we'll blame it on the weather. There you go. <laughs> exactly. And I got one more question. Um, I've got uh, red twig dogwood, and I've, it's been in the ground maybe, I've got three of them spaced together, and they've been in the ground maybe 10 years. And last year, or this year, one of them, started kind of dying off in sections and i'm thinking about maybe giving it a really hard prune this year to see if we can generate some new growth 
what would be the best time of year to do that? I would probably say, has the, the foliage hasn't fallen off yet or has it? It's starting to. Yeah, I would say wait till the foliage falls off, and then you can go ahead and prune them since they're deciduous. So any, if they were anytime, evergreen, I would say no. Anytime this winter before it starts, you know, new growth? Yeah, exactly. So green. you got a couple months. Definitely once the new growth starts, don't uh, don't do the pruning at that time. Yeah, they're, they're the deciduous, the ones. Uh, right. And they look really good. You know, birds, I got them in front of my bird feeders, and the, the birds like to hide in them and stuff. You know, they get to feed. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I hate to lose them. You know, there's three of them you know, next to each other. So I'll try to give them a hard prune this winter and see what happens. All right. Good luck. All right. Thanks, Mike. Yep. Yes, uh, red twig dogwood is one of my favorites. And also, they're really tough and durable. They can take a wet soil as well as a... You know, they don't have to have a dry soil. And let's go over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Hi. I am going to be planting some new uh, tulips and daffodil bulbs. And years ago, I remember I would always put bone meal in with the dirt. I haven't heard you mention that yet today or anything. Do you still uh, suggest that? Well, you know, that's why I keep telling people in multiple times per show to find out, uh, you know, with the soil test what your soil has because, yeah, I mean, the bone meal has some things that could be detrimental to, you know, to the production of the bulbs. So that's, okay. And especially if this is an area that you historically have planted and if you put bone meal in there in the past, that bone meal stays for a considerable period of time. Okay, well, that's really good information. The other thing is, when I plant some things, I often put Osmocote in and intermix it in the dirt. Is that a good idea with bulbs? Uh, Not necessarily, because you don't want to, let's say, trigger some growth, let's say, out of sequence. And sometimes Osmocote or any kind of fertilizer can push some growth ahead of time when it shouldn't be started yet or whatever. Okay, well, that's perfect. I I think you've probably solved some of my problems. Right. Thank you very much. And with, like, the Osmocote, once you start to see the foliage coming up out of the ground, then you can put the Osmocote on the ground and then water it in, and that you know, that should that would be better than just putting it in the hole with the bulb. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate your help. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go to Barbara's. Hi, Barbara. Hey, how are you? Very good. Great. Uh, I had a couple of questions. Um, first, about the yew bush, the big green bushes that just get out of control. However, uh, we have the little red uh, berries on there, and it is so huge, maybe six feet. You can't see from the porch to the where the cars are parked, and I want to know when I can cut that back, and can I cut it back now? Uh, I would not necessarily cut it back this time of year. And the reason why I'm saying that is because the the tips that you're cutting off are really acclimated to the weather. And by cutting it off, then you're exposing some of the needles and things like that to whatever kind of severe winter or lack of severe winter we will have. It may be fine. The berries just mean that that's a female you where the males don't get the berries on it. But uh, it's not a big deal. But I would say when we come out of wintertime, sometime between 
Valentine's Day in middle March, that's when I would do the pruning. Okay, because another thing, it is beginning to encroach upon the zoysia. It, it seems like it's trying to almost take over the grass. <laughs> well, is that normal or what? Yeah, I mean, that they're pretty good-sized shrubs. You can go, the people that live across the street from me have a, a regular spreading you uh, that's probably 10, maybe 12 feet high and almost that wide. Wow. Yeah, they get huge. They don't have to, but uh, if you just kind of let them go, that's what they do. So when I do cut it back, is there any way I can cut from the bottom to get the branches so it won't be as, you know, leaning over into the grass as it is now? Uh, Just have to be really careful as as far as what you prune because sometimes you can prune and then that's going to make it so those the areas that have been pruned are not going to produce any more needles, and then you're going to have sort of a skeletized look. Oh, definitely don't want that. Okay, uh, thank you. One other question about the moms. I want to know what kind of temperatures those moms can withstand because I have the big, beautiful baskets, and now they're just like the brownish blooms and I just want to cut that all the way back and maybe hang them from the front porch. You think I can get any more use out of them or what? No, probably not. Uh, They're hanging like that. Uh, It's going to be too cold. They're going to freeze in that, you know, in the basket where in the ground, if they are even this late, if you had bought them when they're, you know, well budded or in flower, even if they were planted in the ground, the ability to survive the wintertime is going to be really minimal. Okay, very good. Well, I appreciate your knowledge base, Mr. Mike. I thank you so much. <laughs> sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Let's head over to Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Recently, I was in the Louisville, Kentucky area, and I saw a tree that I swear was a holly tree. The leaves were dark green. You know how hard they are and kind of sharp. And I've raised holly bushes before, but is there such a thing as a holly tree? Oh, yeah. The American holly is a holly tree. It grows in a cone shape. And would it survive in this area? Uh-huh. There's actually two different types of holly. The American holly and the foster holly, they're the ones that are not going to be shrubs. They're going to be trees. Ultimately, uh, probably foster hollies, the leaves are a little bit thinner and not quite as, you know, a little bit more sparse. Where the American holly is pretty, you know, dark green, thick and dense as far as the amount of foliage that it has. But they can do really quite well here. Okay, these these three trees are just beautiful. I mean, then will they stay green all year like the holly bush does? Yeah, I mean, they're evergreen. Uh, the, the thing is, our weather is not quite as nice as it is in Kentucky, so they may not end up being as spectacular. But you can go down to the Botanical Garden, and, I mean, they have quite a few large hollies growing right there. Okay, great. So it's American and foster holly. Right, exactly. Okay, thank you so much. Appreciate sure. it. Yep. Like I said, the American holly has a 
larger shaped leaf, and the foster holly has a more narrow leaf, but they're both evergreen. And the foster holly's branching habit is just a little bit more sparse than the American holly. And uh, they really don't need any pruning. So uh, they grow in that uh, cone shape. Let's go over to another Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Hello, Bob. Are you there? Bob? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Mark, I've got a uh, large southern magnolia, and uh, ratches are coming out over the front walk, and I need to trim those back. Uh, Can I do that now? Uh, You can. I would probably just leave them alone and do the pruning. Uh, You know, and like I said, the time I like to prune something like that would be after Valentine's Day, before mid-March, before the new growth begins. But I'm assuming this is the evergreen magnolia you're talking about? Uh, Yes. Yeah, it's just uh, if you're going to cut, you know, if you're going to cut them back, you can do it this time of year. It's just not the ideal time to do it. Uh, Just make sure you don't leave any kind of stub because the stubs are going to get killed off. So if they're longer branches, cut them off in one-third section with a final cut uh, at the trunk being uh, about a stub of about a quarter to a half inch. Okay, I think I need to do this uh, before next spring okay. for several reasons, but uh, we'll uh, appreciate the advice. Sure, my and pleasure. Thanks, thanks for your show. Wish you well. Well, thanks, and thanks. Bye-bye. Wish you well, too. And let's go over to Art's yard. Hi, Art. Yeah, Mike, appreciate you taking the call. Of course, I'm one always for seeing some kind of purpose for anything green. And that's the pollinators. They were on my goldenrod and on my sedums pretty much. And when I listen to your show, this verse comes to me. For by and by the mist will lift and plain it all he'll make. Through all the way, though dark to me, he made not one mistake. But let's hear it for the dandelions. (laughs) Well, thanks, Art. Greatly appreciate it. (laughs) and let's see we got one more call that we're going to try to squeeze in all right and tom can you do it kind of quick yes sir uh have you ever heard of a japanese pagoda tree yes okay well we have a tree and i guess that's what it is we have never been able to find out what it is. I have a friend that has an app on his phone. He took a picture of it, and that's what it came up. And I'm like, I wonder if that's true. We didn't plant it. It was there when we moved in. Uh We've been there 30 years. Whoa. And it's at least that old. It's maybe 50 years old. Uh, Okay. Yeah, what you can do is go to Mobot, M-O-T, dot bot dot org so missouri botanical garden and just put japanese pagoda tree in and you can see some other pictures of it well are they sort of common i mean i've never seen a tree that looked like this well they're not really all that common because you know you're right they don't look let's say what is normal and uh, a lot <laughs> of times people don't want anything that's not normal looking well, this one doesn't look normal. It's got real twisty branches, right? It, and it uh, it has well the whole the whole bottom trunk is hollow. 
which doesn't seem to hurt it. Yeah, that's not that's not a good sign. But uh, you know, like I said, they have them in the Japanese garden. They have them in the I don't know if there's some in the botanical garden in other places or not, but uh, there probably is. Okay, okay, I'll look it up. Great. Right. Thanks a lot, Mike. Mobot dot org. And that's going to be about it. So thanks to everybody for calling in today. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, have a great Halloween. I mean, man, oh, man. Like I said, whoever did the decorations here at the radio station, jeez, <laughs> there's too many spiders. They scare me. But uh, just have a good day. Enjoy this weather because we know who knows how much we don't know how much longer it's going to last this nice. So just have a fun day. Enjoy. Get out. Check the check the color of the trees. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.